0: In the whirlwind of Harvard academia.
1: This is the Bipartisan Podcast. The
2: landed.
0: Hello, and welcome to this new episode of the Bipartisan Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Swanson. I'm Luke Webster.
2: I'm Nathan Duffloss.
0: And it's just the three of us today, as our other hosts are a little occupied at the moment, but that's okay. We got some fun stuff we're going to talk about, starting with Biden's honeymoon phase in the polls, and then we're going to talk about the return of Parlor. If you have not heard, yes, it is back. So let's start right off here with Biden's honeymoon phase. Polls have been conducted, and the results are in. A majority of Americans approve the job Joe Biden is doing in office. The president has not yet been in office for a full month yet he has maintained a steady approval rating of just over 54% nearly the entire time since his inauguration. This is in stark contrast to former President Donald Trump, whose approval ratings never broke 50% during his four years in office. So we do see a much more popular president right out of the gate. On the matter of coronavirus, citizens are even more supportive. A recent ABC Ipsos poll shows that 67% of Americans approve of the president's handling of the pandemic, with 86 or 96% of Democrats, of independents and 33% of Republicans supporting Biden's coronavirus plans. In terms of relief, however, uh, 49% of Americans want to pass COVID relief on the party line with 40% wanting a smaller bipartisan bill and 10% wanting no bill at all. So what I wanna talk about here is kind of focus on Biden's approval rating. You know, He has really high numbers, but I wanna talk about why we think he has these high numbers and whether or not they're gonna stay also, whether or not the upcoming COVID relief bill is going to help or hurt the president, depending on what happens. So, I want to hand it over to Luke first, and I'd like to hear your opinion on on Biden's numbers so far.
1: I think that Biden's numbers are a great reflection of the way that a lot of people looked at him during the campaign. It's just kind of, it's just kind of the establishment guy that's just going to sit there and kind of do stuff. Um, I uh so i think i th- that's my major t- takeaway i think from his high approval rating is that he i think that they uh they'll they appreciate the lack of tumultuousness i don't know if that's a word but the the well i guess what i'm trying to say is i think that people are appreciating uh, uh more steady more calm uh more predictable administration versus uh, An administration that you know any day could be the last for anybody in the cabinet, or you know one tweet could radically change policy, in on a, a multitude of different fronts. So I think that um, his his numbers are a reflection of that, and not so much a reflection of the job he's doing, if that makes sense. I well, I think that does factor into people's. Uh, decision-making, I don't think it's the driving factor is, I guess, what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying there. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, Nathan, you're our other Republican here. What is your thoughts on Biden's approval rating?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that uh, this is going to sound terrible, but I think, you know, a cucumber can get a great approval rating after, you know, the whole fiasco trump spin. as far as, A, the media, you know, <laughs> really really not helping him out and him not helping himself out by talking um by some of the more more controversial but i think at the same time maybe warranted policies and honestly i think that you probably put it best on your twitter i don't know if anybody follows tyler tyler on twitter but um tyler said man i haven't thought about joe biden in the last week it's nice um i think that's really the feeling of a lot of a lot of um, not only folks on the left of the aisle, but also people who are independent, like, oh, I don't have to worry about the president, he must be doing a good job. Um, But I think it's important for us to, you know, really scrutinize what he's doing. I think that, you know, some of the things he's doing are pretty harmful, and they're going to have a longer term impact. And so yes, I think compared to compared to Trump, I think that Biden's going to have a great approval rating for the next four years, um, regardless of what he does. Um, And Trump's numbers over the four years were definitely very very skewed based on you know the pandemic based on uh two impeachments so i think that i think that trump's approval i don't think it's fair to compare him to trump's approval ratings um but i mean i'm not really surprised and i think that they'll be pretty consistently high throughout the next four years even
0: yeah i think you could <laughs> so yes nathan i get what you're saying i think um you could probably compare Trump and Biden's uh, first month of their presidencies, just because I think Trump started off on a relatively good foot, and what happened after that was just a lot of controversy. And we might still see that um, with the Biden administration, but you know who's to say? Um, but that being said, uh, you summed it up pretty well when I, you know, put it on Twitter at um, T Swan 2023, that uh, the job um, Joe Biden has been doing is, you know, good enough that I haven't thought about him over the past, you know, two or three weeks. And it's not really anything he's done, particularly in terms of policy, it's just that I haven't thought about the president because I don't need to. You know, there's not a lot of stuff you know, going on the news about things that he said. He's not tweeting you know, a bunch of odd things you know, during the day. And you know, I can just kind of go about my business. And I, I think that, yeah, Luke, what you said, people are more relieved to be um, you know, having no controversy in the daily news cycle um, than actually, you know, cons- or than actually, you know, loving his policy because, you know, um, I, I don't know if Biden would enjoy um, that much support from independents if they were strictly talking about, you know, issues of policy. Uh, that being said, you know, I think other than that, Biden's doing a, a good job in terms of, you know, the, the things that he's done uh, policy-wise. A few more executive orders than I would like. I like to see some legislative action, but that's really hard to do with a 50-50 Congress. Um, and whether or not these numbers will stay, I think, really depends on the handling of the rest of the pandemic. Of course, we've seen really good vaccine distribution over the past month or so, and I think it's only going to get better. I think once people are able to go outside more and they're they're going to, you know, um, subconsciously associate that with the Biden administration, they're going to think that, you know, Biden was at least semi-responsible for it and give him credit for it that way. And uh, depending on what happens with this COVID relief bill, if it puts money in people's pockets and if it you know, gets people back to work and does those kinds of things, I think you'll definitely see a bump in his approval ratings that way. So I could see that um, Biden will have pretty good poll numbers, at least through the end of 2021, barring any unforeseen controversy. Um, And whether or not that will, you know, continue to the midterms and beyond, you know, we'll see at the end of the year and reassess. But for now, I think he's done, you know, a a decent job of being um, a pretty generic American president. I don't know, do you guys agree with me on that one?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I, 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 I definitely agree. I, you know, I don't have a hard time agreeing with any of that. Honestly, I, I, I don't know. Nathan, what do you got?
2: I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not a very big Biden fan. You know, trying to try and wreck my state's economy and uh, really, you know, using the uh, bully pulpit to push some of the more failed Obama ideas that we've seen, but. I mean, yeah, if, if, if Obama is your baseline successful Democrat president, then absolutely he's been doing a great job.
0: Yeah, okay. So um, we'll continue to monitor, you know, how Biden does in terms of poll ratings and, you know, if there's any big spikes or big things going on, we'll talk about it. Um, but I do wanna move on to our next topic about the return of parlor and what that could mean for, you know, our social media and our political climate right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the newest poetry novella from author and bipartisan post contributor, G McCormick. This is a love story. And this is a love story. Readers explore and connect with the bonds of family and religion, as well as the intimacy that comes with a close romantic relationship, all written in beautiful prose. This is a love story can be purchased on lulu.com for $11 and a link to purchase is included in the show notes. You can also find links to follow G McCormick on social media in the show notes go ahead and get yourself a copy. I grabbed mine and I absolutely cannot put it down. It truly is a wonderful, wonderful novella and I encourage everyone to pick it up. With that, back to the show. And we're back. So Parler, the social media app favored by right-wing activists, pundits, and yes, some extremists, is back online today after being virtually shut down since early January after the uh, Capitol Hill insurrection. So after January 6th, both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store, um, two of the basically exclusive um, app stores you'll use if you have a mobile phone, (coughs) dropped Parler, citing its unsatisfactory moderating standards, and then shortly after, Amazon dropped Parler from its web hosting platform, which essentially took Parler offline. Now, Parler's back with a new CEO and a new web hosting platform, but it is still not available for download in the two most popular app stores. So, if you are an existing user, you're able to go online and get back into your account. But if you're, you know, looking to join this platform, it's going to be a little bit hard for you to do right now. That being said, what do you guys think the return for Parler means right now? Of course, we we are still in a very divided political uh, political climate. We just got out of you know the Trump impeachment trial, which um, surrounded a lot of the events on January 6th, and you know the uh, role of, you know, right-wing polarization and uh, political extremism. Um, and Parler was widely regarded as a, as a host and, a you know, a breeding ground for that. So I, I want to know what your opinions are um, on bringing back this service and whether or not it'll even be able to get to the same level of popularity it had before it was shut down.
2: And Nathan, let's like start with you. You know, I don't, I don't think Parler is going to be able to reach the same um, level of I guess just overall prominence that it did, um, the fact that you know uh, it was kind of the backlash, you know, to the to the the cens- censorship of Twitter and Facebook, which um, Twitter and I th- Facebook, I think you know, I think they're 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 censoring things. I mean, obviously they are. They're fact checking stuff, but I think at this point, if you're still on Twitter or Facebook, you've you've accepted that, and you've accepted that that's part of the uh, part of your terms and agreement. And that's part of the culture. Um, I never think, I never thought Parler would end up being, you know, a mainstream solution. Um, and I don't think that you'll see something like Donald Trump pop on there and will gain a whole lot more pop- popularity. But I mean, other than that, I don't, I don't see, you know, Parler really shaping that landscape. A lot of, a lot of the complaints against Parler were um, some of the non-regulation is the QAnon group. Um, QAnon's really died down since President Trump is out of office, thank goodness. Um, they're, they're kind of crazy. Um, but, I'm. I mean, I'm genuinely, you know, glad to see that, you know, if there's if there's a platform for free speech that, you know, is not openly promoting violence and not openly promoting, you know, those those kinds of bad things are being used to, uh, you know, uh, do bad things. I mean, I think I think it's I think it's important to realize that you know a lot of like the the capital riots it was coordinated on Facebook, um, and so I think that just. Any social media site's going to be used for for that bad purpose if you want, but uh, I I do think Parlour was singled out. Um, I mentioned that on the last show, but I I don't I don't know. We'll have to see what ends up truly happening and what its legacy is on on social media platforms uh, overall.
0: Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying there. And, and Luke, do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I you know I I think I agree with Nathan and then
1: that Parler's probably not going to be as popular as it might have been. Uh, but I do think this is an important step in kind of normalizing the conversation. I, uh, Again, like Nathan said, I kind of feel like parlor was singled out and uh, because it was willing to kind of host these more fringe views. And I think that that was definitely a good thing that they were doing. And I was sad to see that, uh, you know, Big Tech decided to... Uh, enforce that their own will on on that conversation so um i'm hoping that this is the first step and kind of a return to normalcy so to speak
0: okay yeah you know i think i agree with you guys on some points and disagree on others uh, i think when uh parlor definitely had a role in or let me backtrack a little bit it makes sense the parlor came about in the first place you know i understand how a lot of people would be upset with um you know what they believed to be, you know, a bias in social media platforms in some instances of censorship, which in some cases, yeah, there were, you know, you had a lot of right-wing pundits, commentators, personalities, you know, kicked off of Twitter. They had tweets deleted or, you know, warnings put in front of their tweets because um, of things that they said. Now, granted, you know, in a lot of those cases, things they said were either false, they were misleading or, you know, controversial, and they might have they been in violation of Twitter's policy. So Twitter does have the ability to you know, monitor that as, you know, they they can as a business, as a platform. Um, so I understand why Parler comes about and you have this ability for people to really say whatever they want and not be worried about the the platform itself taking down what they say. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I think, you know, for the same reason it comes about, it comes about is the same reason you can get out of hand because you now have a lot of people who are extreme in their views, um, who may be see, uh, saying things that are, um, controversial, that are well, not even controversial, but misle- uh, misleading, false, or just flat out dangerous. I think you saw a lot of that um, in the time leading up to and immediately after uh, the insurrection at the Capitol. And it makes sense that if you were, you know, the Google Play Store, if you were the Apple App Store, you need to have um, some form of moderation on those apps if you're going to host them, because you don't want to be seen as a marketplace that is, you know, providing um, a host to this you know platform that gives rise to extremism or to other things um and of course amazon you know they have the right to drop them as a host because you know it's you know the terms and conditions or whatever you know reason they decided to do so um you know if and if parlor wants to come back and if they can find a way to come back good for them they just you know they have a right to to use their business model and to not moderate what people say they just need to be aware that there will be consequences from the other platforms they use to, to host their service. So, I don't know. I think it's a good thing that Parler faced consequences in the first place. Um, well, when it comes back, I don't think it'll be as big as it was um, in the first place because I think there's just not as much outcry as there has been. Um, but I'm interested to see what goes forward, and uh, I hope you know the people there. I hope Parler does at least some job of keeping you know potentially. Um, very dangerous things off its platform but we'll see
2: well and I Tyler I think that I, I think that people's main reason they moved to parlor it's not because of the censorship I think that people are fine if you kick somebody like Alex Jones off the platform because he's wacky but the problem is is that it was a double standard that wasn't happening to left-wing activists who were just as radical or just as brazen. And so that was what, what Parler said. Parler said, hey, they're, they're kicking you off for saying that, we'll have you and we won't kick off the other guy either. And so I think that that same feeling of wanting to be a part of the counterculture and wanting to be a part of you know, the free speech for everybody regardless if you wanna say stupid stuff, I think that's what Parler's always going to be. I think that they're probably going to have a little bit more moderation but I think at the end of the day, it's not necessarily meant to be a social media platform. I, I think it's it's more of the idea, which sounds really dumb. But I that that's the way I've always viewed it, and that's that's my that's my counter take to you.
0: Okay, I, I see what you mean. Um, like I guess as plat or as parlor being kind of the the conceptual opponent to you know to Twitter or to Facebook, and that makes sense. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know if it'll be able to, to rise to prominence and, you know, do what it, um, what they said it was gonna do where it provides a platform for everybody, just because I think it's already been labeled as a platform almost exclusively for, you know, the right wing. Um, and, you know, that's not exactly completely their fault. Um, it's just that, you know, right wing people went to the platform and now it's kind of become more of an echo chamber because, you know, you're not gonna have AOC going on Parler and, you know, Talking her truth, or you're probably not going to see, you know, any more extreme people on the left go on there and, you know, try to, you know, build an audience because there's simply not going to be one. You know, their their audience is going to be, you know, on Twitter or Facebook where they have been all along and where they um haven't been, you know, kicked off, which, you know, you make a good point there and that there was some bias. Um, I, I've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of weird posts, a lot of questionable things from people on the left. And, you know, they stay up while people on the right do get kicked off. And I think yeah, we definitely need to hold tech companies up to a higher standard in that regard. Um, in that regard, and you know, I'm not sure the best way to do it. I don't think repealing Section 230 is the best way to do it. I, I think that can lead to a lot of other problems. Um, but there does need to be a much better, um, more fair um, way to to monitor, uh, you know, what's going on on things like Twitter and on Facebook to ensure that you know. Dangerous uh, situations aren't arising because we do live in an age where everybody's online. People, you know, have been home, you know, in their house for the past year, and they spend their time on Twitter and on Facebook. It's very important that um, these, you know, environments aren't giving rise to, you know, to terrorism or to, you know, um, intolerance of, you know, different, you know, racial, ethnic groups, or, you know, they're not becoming platforms for hate. So, I. I don't know we'll see what happens over the course of the you know the next few years as the big tech debate you know continues to grow but any other final thoughts on this before we wrap up if i i don't have
1: anything i uh i agree with what what, both you guys are saying um but i'm I'm still leaning towards uh nathan in the camp of let parlor exist
0: oh yeah i think i think you can let it exist i just you know i'm glad that it was held accountable for um, for, you know, not having that great moderation platform. And I I think, you know, that it's within the right of, you know, Apple and Google and Amazon to, to not host them if, you know, they are in violation of terms. Um, but yeah, I'm glad we had the discussion and, you know, both, uh, Biden's poll numbers and, uh, part of situation are things that we're going to follow going forward. Um, past this episode. Uh, for those of you listening who enjoyed the Bipartisan Post and the Bipartisan Podcast, be sure to go to bipartisanpost.com. We have a few new articles up on the site. One of them um, is a little dated now, but it is uh, talking about the Trump impeachment trial. There is one talking about the Senate filibuster and one talking about the role of the coronavirus pandemic um, in homeschooling uh, over in the UK. So a lot of interesting things. Um, and they're you know really great articles. I recommend checking them out. Also, go ahead and follow us on social media at Post Bipartisan, and check out our store in the BipartisanPost.com. You can get some cool stickers to represent the Bipartisan Post brand. Thank you very much, and we will see you next week. Goodbye.